Section 29 of The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Crime of the French Café and Other Stories by Nicholas Carter. The Mystery of St. Agnes's Hospital. Chapter 9. The Other Side of a Thane Case. As may readily be supposed, the emotions excited in the various persons present differed widely. But of the two who rejoiced, it is hard to say that Chick was second to Dr. Jarvis. The smile which settled down upon Chick's face was beautiful to behold. He was the image of satisfaction. I had it right, he said, and hugged himself. The doctor, in the meanwhile, sat in a sort of delightful trance. Just what had happened, he could not have told anybody, but he perceived that he had sailed out of all his difficulties. Flint and Deaver, of course, protested loudly, but the superintendent promptly shut them up. Don't you dare to say a word, either of you, till I hear the inside of this whole case, said he. It is one of the finest examples of the dangers of circumstantial evidence that I ever saw, said Nick. No jury that ever sat in the box would hesitate a moment to convict Dr. Jarvis, yet he is entirely innocent. The principal confusion, in my own mind, was a result of the doctor's belief in his own guilt. That is why he bribed me, believing me to be Cleary. By the way, here is your five thousand dollars, doctor. He handed the package of bills to the astonished physician, who could only gasp, You? You? Yes, I played Cleary, said Nick. That affair, and your attempt to elude Chick, amount to no more in the case than that they indicate your own belief in your guilt. Now, what is against that belief? In the first place, you would never have disposed of the body by burial, having that acid, unknown to chemists, in which flesh dissolves like water, you would have used it. Your sleepwalking adventure proved to me what you would have done under similar circumstances, if awake. Having seen that, I had only to be present at the digging up of the body to have a fairly reliable theory of your innocence. Why should you, possessing that acid and that furnace, mutilate a man's face and head with a spade? You had far better means of preventing an identification. But the body was buried in the garden. The question is, by whom? To answer that, we pass on to the story of the bringing of the body through the vacant lot and hoisting it over the wall. The testimony of Prescott I regard as reliable. Chick's investigations satisfy me as to the man's character and motives. Then we acquit the doctor at once. This is nonsense, cried Deaver. I will not be silent any longer. Yes, you will, said Burns, in a voice that secured obedience. It acquits the doctor, I say, continued Nick. He could never have lifted that body to the top of the wall. There is a physical impossibility in the way of a belief that he is guilty. It takes a very strong man to raise a dead body, weighing 175 pounds, above his head in the manner described by Prescott. We shall have to work down to that strong man before the case is proven. 
Nick looked significantly at Lawrence Deaver. That look was understood. "'You're a liar and a scoundrel!' screamed Deaver, beside himself with rage. He sprang upon Nick. Nobody raised a finger to interfere. The superintendent and Chick calmly awaited the inevitable issue. Flint dared not go to the assistance of his patron. It was all over in a few seconds. Deaver lay upon the floor, fettered, and Nick stood over him. "'The strong man in the case has been found,' said Nick. "'I'm willing to admit that you gave me hard work, Deaver.' "'So it was he that buried the body?' asked Burns. "'Yes, I suspected it at once,' responded Nick. "'It was his deliberate intention to throw the crime upon Dr. Jarvis.' He stole the doctor's cap and dressing gown on Monday night, and then returned them when the job was done, but they showed the signs of hard usage. You remember, doctor, that I carefully examined them. It was plain that a much larger man than the doctor had worn them. The seams in the back and around the arms were strained, and some of them had burst. This was only a hint, of course, but it fitted the remainder of the case. The strongest indication, however, was the way Deaver secured testimony. I had only to hint that I wanted to cover a point, and he immediately went out and secured the witness. But most of them told the truth, said the superintendent. Yes, Nick admitted. There he was wonderfully helped by fate. It happened that he was seen at just the bright moments when he was playing the part of Dr. Jarvis. If he hadn't been so impatient... It would even have been unnecessary for him to produce this man Flint. Chick secured real witnesses who were much better. And there we come to the point where we are sure about Deaver. Prescott and Miss Allen told the truth. Flint, prompted by Deaver, told exactly the same story. Therefore, Deaver must have known precisely what the facts were. Investigation convinces me that he could have known them in only one way by being himself the person who performed the acts described. "'Do you mean to accuse me of murdering my brother?' demanded Deaver. "'Certainly not,' said Nick. "'Do you remember the question I asked you on the first day of the investigation? I asked, "'Who has been murdered?' "'Well?' "'I answer that question now. Nobody has been murdered. Your brother is alive. There is nothing the matter with him except a scalp wound.' The body found was a substitute, which you procured. It was you who made the wounds with the spade. This is all bare assertion, cried Deaver, who, in irons, sat upon the floor with his back against a chair. You cannot prove what you say. Let me first explain how the trick was done, said Nick, coolly. Your brother, after he had somewhat recovered from the effects of the blow he had received, went to your house. He wished you to help him get revenge upon Dr. Jarvis. You had your own grudge against him, on account of your unsuccessful suit for his daughter. You saw the chance of a deeper revenge than your brother had any idea of. You then planned this whole conspiracy. He was to go away forever. You were to remain and make this charge against the doctor. It is an infernal lie, shrieked Deaver. Where is my brother? I demand that you produce him. Your brother is now hidden in your house at Nyack. It was vacant. You told him to go there until you could make arrangements to get him safely away. As to the body, 
you bought it of a grave robber. How do you pretend to know that? asked Deaver, scornfully. As to the body, I can produce the man who sold it. As to your brother, I know where he has gone, because no other course was practicable, and because I have had word that he is there. I defy you to prove it, cried Deaver. I am willing to let the question of my guilt or innocence rest on that event. He is not there. There was a peculiar light of triumph in Deaver's eyes as he spoke. It did not escape Nick's observation. The shrewd detective saw at a glance that Deaver believed his brother to have already escaped. Could it be possible? In any event, Nick would not evade the other's challenge. He felt that his reputation was at stake, but he did not hesitate. If I do not produce him in twenty-four hours, said Nick, I will withdraw my charge against you. End of section 29 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona